GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and this week I'm joined by... Matt Hendrahead. Rebecca Valentine. And Mike Williams. Mike, welcome back. First time we've had you on this year. How have you been? Good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been pretty good. Uh, 2021 has not uh, so much vastly changed from 2020, but there's hope it'll get better. It can always get better. Yeah, it's, it's feeling a bit more sequel than resolution at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is, definitely. <laughs> we are here to talk about the biggest news from the games industry of the past week, uh, which primarily seemed to revolve around licenses and certainly one cluster of licenses. So earlier this week, uh, Luke, Disney re-established Lucasfilm Games, the old Lucasfilm Games brand, as the home of all Lucasfilm-related games. Um, and there was a nice little sizzle reel of all the Star Wars games that have, have been out over the last few years um this was then followed by bethesda announcing that they're doing a indiana jones game with a little little teaser uh, and then ubisoft doing a star wars open world game which has obviously prompted lots of speculation pieces about what people want from those games and i have my own thoughts about that but this is probably not the most professional place to put them um yeah really ramping up like kind of the it feels like a, a moment where licensed games are ramping up because, as I will inevitably drop in later, like obviously this comes relatively hot off the heels of the Project 007 announcement last year. Um, we've seen big success with licensed games in terms of like you know Marvel's um, Spider-Man and obviously Spider-Man Miles Morales did quite well just before Christmas. Um, guys, your thoughts on on these these particular announcements? Well, I want to actually counterpoint what you just said, James, because I think. I think there was a period of time, and I don't, I would, I would, I remember it was being, when I was a kid, like a kid and a teenager, when there were a crap ton of licensed games on <laughs> console, and I think we've had this conversation on this podcast before, you would just go to the store and like in the bargain bin, there would be a massive stack of like all these licensed games. And that has somewhat tapered off over the years, because I think that a lot of the licensed games have come to mobile. Um, and that's sort of been where all the licensing deals have gone. But now you are correct in that we are suddenly seeing kind of a, a resurgence of licensed games, but they are being done in such a way where it's a much bigger deal, right? Like it's not just, you know, slapdash. Well, that, that's, that's a cruel word. Um, it's, it's a much bigger deal that um, these properties are getting licensed and bigger properties are showing up, um, you know, for console and PC, like, like AAA titles, uh, rather than just sort of, oh, a movie came out, I guess there's a licensed game for it on the yeah. GameCube somewhere. I, I definitely think it follows a trajectory of kind of what the leading edge of games, the kind of investment it requires. Because you're right, Rebecca, there was, I feel like licensed games have actually moved in a bit of a, you know, a, like a bit of a wave. Because uh, I recall, you know, going right back to, to the 90s, that some of the most popular games of the day, be it like Star Wars, TIE Fighter, Indiana Jones, Fate of Atlantis. I'm actually, we're talk, I mean, part of this is actually it's just LucasArts sorting its shit out when it comes to games. I mean, that's part of the story that we're dealing with here. But but I feel like as the cost of gaming of, ga of game development increased, uh, licensed games became sort of moved away from the top rung, moved away from the, the kind of the leading edge, the most expensive projects, potentially because the people that held the licenses weren't entirely sure whether they could recoup their money or do the license justice. I think potentially what we're seeing now is a reflection of the fact that games are undeniably, you know, as, as good a way to express the Indiana Jones license as a new film would ever be. For example, uh, James Bond is can just be just as relevant and just as much of a moneymaker in games as, 
as any as uh, as as in movies, and that maybe we're seeing a uh, a lot a more confidence, I guess, on the parts of the IP holders. And for I mean, and we're mainly dealing with film franchises as well. Um, I think that that point about LucasArts is is a solid one too, because there there are no shortage of Star Wars games. There's no shortage of Star Wars games from LucasArts, but that all kind of dried up about eight nine years ago. Um, there were a lot of Star Wars games prior to that, and then LucasArts sort of moved away from it. Then that, in part, is because of the way Disney sort of retreated from making its own games, moved towards a licensing model, and we're now seeing that kind of big business start to come back. But it's odd to me because I do remember, particularly in my formative years as a gamer, licensed games being some of the biggest games on the market, unquestionably. Yeah, I mean, if you look even with the, the MPDs for 2020 uh, that are out today, well, today as of recording this. You came in here ready to talk about those NPDs, Mike. Well, well even for, for, <laughs> for licensed games, like you got Marvel's Avengers at number 11, uh, Miles Morales uh, at number 12, and you got Dragon Ball Z Kakarot at number 17. And I'd argue that uh, Avengers and Kakarot, which I reviewed, aren't really all that great. And they still sold very well. So that's sort of the the strength of some of these, especially some of the larger IPs, the ones that Disney owns, Lucasfilm, uh, or as in other news, uh, IO Interactive getting uh, James Bond. Like those are very big, very well-known IP that can drive sales even if the game behind it isn't all that great. And if it is great, I think that that you can see like, the original Spider-Man PS4 can drive a, a ton of sales. Which is why I think Star Wars was such a, a missed opportunity for the last decade. So to, to kind of follow the trajectory of Lucasfilm and Lucasfilm Games specifically, Lucasfilm Games has is a name that's existed for a really long time. Like it was initially the video game development group of Lucasfilm. It was founded like in the 80s. Um, and then it got renamed to LucasArts and then LucasArts got acquired by Disney along with, you know, Lucasfilm and all the rest. Um, but then, like, in 2013, Disney laid off everybody at LucasArts and turned it into a licensing arm. And then that same year, it signed the the decade-long exclusive licensing deal with EA to make Star Wars games. And EA, you know, they made some Star Wars games, and not all of them were bad, but it's pretty... You can look at sort of their output and, you know, what, what kinds of games they made and how, how many games they made, and... It doesn't really seem like that deal ended up being great for, well, for, for LucasArts and Disney. Like, the, I feel like we could have gotten a lot more better Star Wars games had the license been a little more open, which it seems to be becoming more open in the next couple of years, as we've seen, you know, with, with Ubisoft, you know, getting a deal for us for a, for a game and then... Uh, also, EA kind of indicating that they're not done making Star Wars games. And and had EA not scrapped so many games, I mean, like we um, so within that ten year period that um, that EA has had this exclusive console and PC license for Star Wars, Star Wars thirteen thirteen that got dropped. Um, the game that Amy Hennig was working on that was going to be this kind of yeah. uh, project ragtag. Yeah. Pro- Project Ragtag that got Damn dropped. Shame. I think there was then going to be another open world adventure that got dropped. Um, I'm I'm so I'm still glad that Squadrons even made it out. Like yeah, since since EA has had the license, we've had two Battlefronts. I'm trying to remember now. We've had two Battlefronts, Jedi, oh, Jedi Order, Fallen Order, and, and Squadrons, and, and the trick. And Squadrons. Which Fallen and Order it. was people liked that. Yeah, Fallen Which, Order and, 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 and I've actually, funnily enough, I've I've just started Fallen Order, and I'm kind of enjoying it. 
And, 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 it, and it is good, but it does feel like this is a game that has been built because we have the license rather than there is just something we wanted to, to, to do with it. Um, I think I'm, I'm on, the, on the face of it, like four games in, what, eight years isn't terrible. I'm glad we're not at the stage where Activision... Activision used to pump out a game every single year for the Spider-Man, the Transformers, and I think the... Uh, there was another license they had. Well, they, had they used to pump one out every year or a year and a half purely to keep hold of the license. But And those some of those were bad. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I think give it... So a AAA game is a sort of three or four year turnaround. Three and eight years actually isn't necessarily that bad. Uh, the, I think the, the interesting part of how... Um, I think we're kind of skipping around a little bit here in terms of subject matter, but I think one of the interesting parts of how EA's Star Wars license run went is really tied up in Project Ragtag. Uh, it's tied up in the things that didn't make it and why they didn't make it. Um, it is really, really, really hard to imagine a scenario where it makes any sense to cancel an Amy Hennig Star Wars game. Um, I just can't, I can't. I mean, Mike, I, you've been on the consumer side uh, for kind of the time period this played out in. Is there? I, I never really got wind of a of a credible story as to exactly why it happened. Is there? Is there like an established theory around that? Uh, it sounded like from the reports that we did get that it just wasn't the type of game that EA wanted. EA wanted a larger game, and, and the interesting thing is if you sort of look at Jedi Fallen Order and Squadrons, I, I feel like Jedi Fallen Order is is a very, you know, very linear, straightforward project. And I get the feeling that it wasn't the the A-tier game that EA were looking for in Project Ragtag, but they needed to get something out. And Respawn had it. And Squadrons was definitely also in that vein, as in it was a project that the team had been working on on the side. And then EA, I, I get the feeling, was just like, well, I mean, we have it. You might as well get it out there. And those are the two better, like the, the ones that EA wasn't necessarily focused on seem to be the two better games out of this entire deal. So that's the interesting thing, because I wouldn't actually surprise me at all if EA only imagine getting three to four games out in the 10 years anyway i think the more interesting thing is did they get the three to four games out like as mike suggested that they anticipated getting out i feel like from ea's point of view where they were as a business at that point in time moving towards kind of service-based structures for for all of its big franchises not doing as many of the smaller bets that define sort of the late 2000s you don't uh, your Dante's Infernos and Dead Spaces and all of that stuff, as much as good stuff actually came out of that period. But I feel like they wanted to make Battlefront work in a way that it ultimately didn't work. So I think that's, if those rolls of the dice had come out better, I think we'd look back on the 10 years a bit differently. Um, and I think probably, yes, the Amy Hennig game was was the third piece and maybe one more. But I, I don't think they necessarily fell short in volume of games because as you say, Batch, like we've, We've been through that period. The, the period that period where people would just there would be licensed games all the time. The, the, what Rebecca described wasn't necessarily like halcyon days of licensed games. You know, there was a lot of very low quality products, and that's kind of where the the, the tarnished reputation of licensed games came from. Uh, it did start to shift. I actually think like one of the one of the landmark moments in licensed games for me, at least, uh, was sort of Batman Arkham Asylum 
which is such a creative use of a license, so well executed, wasn't tied to anything particular. Um, it just felt like a very sort of honest expression of what that IP could be as a video game. And I, I felt like it had been a while since I'd, I'd felt that way. But I think, you know, with Star Wars, and I concur on Fallen Order, Fallen Order is, as Mike says, very linear game. It's also a bit Metroidvania-y, which, you know, Metroidvanias kind of reuse assets. Like they mean you can get more out of what you created. And it that that's Jedi Fallen Order for me. It feels a bit like what can we accomplish with two or three years left to run? And it was never going to be like an open world game, which is evidently what Ubisoft are doing now because it's just what what can we achieve and what what respawn is really good at is combat and jedi fallen order has excellent combat actually has a pretty decent story i think but i i kind of bounced off it off about halfway through maybe because i just got a little bit bored um going back over my own footsteps and revisiting planets and, and it just got the sense that i'd seen everything the game had to offer and that's for me that's not you know to the point about batman arkham asylum Star Wars for me is about the universe. It's about the crazy characters. It's about all of that. It's not necessarily just about look, look at this lightsaber, isn't it cool? Which Paul Nord did brilliantly, but halfway through, that was it. It makes me wish that. Well, and I, and I guess this is maybe what's happening, but I I would love to see with with kind of the license opening up. I would love to see the IP licensed to studios that are going to be a little more adventurous with it like i i mean i i'm not the i'm not a big star wars fan i i don't care at all for the the original two trilogies the new the new movies the first two were pretty good the third one i could do without but I, i'm not a big star wars person but i i would love to see it kind of take on i guess more of a quality of what I also wanted Mass Effect to be, I guess. Like, you know, big big space adventures to places that we have not been before and kind of breaking away from this this set of characters and this set of planets and the set of ideas of what Star Wars should be. Like, it is such an interesting and expansive universe. And I think that, I think that you know, s- some of the novels and some of the other, like, kind of branch, branched off uh, stories have gotten to explore that. And I would love to see video games do that, too, instead of feeling like they need to be married to this particular idea of what Star Wars has to be because of, you know, I guess the fandom or whatever. And I think I think EA was, was kind of very married to that. Like, like Fallen Order was maybe a little more adventurous, but especially with the Battlefront games, it felt like, okay, well, let's just put all the Star Wars characters in here and make people pay money for them and, you know, all these other things. But... Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that Ubisoft's open world version of this is necessarily going to scratch that itch for me, but I, I, th- I feel like there are other developers who could do really interesting things with it. Well, building on that point, um, I'd be intrigued, and I've seen some people calling this on, on Twitter, the, the announcement of Ubisoft's open world game for Star Wars was met with a very ding-dong, the witch is dead kind of vibe from people saying, brilliant, EA no longer has exclusivity, we can all have a piece. And I saw a few people saying, like, well, why don't why not give indies a go and give indies a chance at the license? And, and the, the example that springs to mind obviously um, Mike Bithell got the John Wick uh, license for John Wick Hex and did something completely John Wick you watch the film and I have to confess I haven't watched the films but what I hear about the film like you just assume it, it would just be your typical video game action shooter but he did this kind of hex based strategy game and I think that's a really interesting idea I'd love to see more indies get their hands on the Star Wars license and explore and other licenses and explore different things because it kind of goes back to um Disney, just before it pulled out of games completely, was starting to get a bit more experimental with um, with what it did with its properties. Obviously, like the um, a little bit beforehand, but there was the Epic Mickey example. Um, give mm. Warren Spector. Oh, I what like, a great idea! 
Yeah, Warren Spector telling a darker story about this forgotten Disney mascot. It was it was a real from what I remember playing of it. It was a really interesting concept. Maybe not. Maybe the execution wasn't great, but you know, limits of the Wii hardware. But there's um there's an indie studio in Essex actually near me, Delala Studios. They had their hands on a massive Disney license, and the thing they kind of showed me some kind of concept art of like what they were doing with it, and it was it was a really cool idea of like right i can see that being absolutely brilliant and then the strategy changed and they pulled out of games completely and that game didn't get made i'd love to see disney and lucasfilm arts you know like lucasfilm games by extension being a bit more experimental with who they loan their license out to and letting people play with it because so many developers have really cool ideas and that not just from the triple a space yeah so i i actually wrote this very thing back in 2018 uh, which is interesting because I'm looking back at the article and it, this was during the time when we had uh, a trilogy from Ryan Johnson on the, the, the movie side and, and a trilogy from the Game of Thrones guys and Star Wars stories and Disney pulled back on all of that. But like at the time I was like, yeah, like EA is fine. But there's so much more that could be done with the license, and not all of these games have to particularly tie into anything. And so when I wrote the article, I threw out, like, um, Hideo Kojima is a huge Star Wars fan. Like, like imagine mm. what the Hideo Kojima Star Wars game is. Like, oh, my God. Like, or, Weird or, as hell. Right. Or, oh or Obsidian or Platinum Games. Like, I threw out a bunch of random, you know, Night School Studios, Drinkbox Studios, Z-Boyd Games, like... And the the benefit of this model is you get some interesting swings, but not every game has to be good. Like if you if you give someone like an indie a Star Wars license and let them make whatever, if it's bad, no one cares. You just move on. Uh, and and if it's good, then you've added to like that overall universe in some way to that overall brand. So like. The Ubisoft thing is a is a good start, but yeah, I do want them to go to like, you know, Q Games and say, hey, if you had Star Wars or Indiana Jones or Willow or whatever, what would you do with it? Yeah, well, maybe they could just reskin reskin Death Stranding because doesn't Norman Reedus carry effectively a baby on his back in that that could just be the mandalorian right just stick a <laughs> stick a helmet yes. on him stick baby yoda <laughs> instead of the jar and then it could just be like walking around together that'd be that'd be ace i mean i i do agree i i and i'm not i'm not saying this is a good thing but what i wonder is if <clears throat> the way disney thinks and disney is now you know obviously is the owner of star wars um i, I don't know if disney is ever going to be open to letting anyone do anything non-spectacular with star wars at least on console and pc i mean i i like the like the example of john wick hex and i really you know that is really interesting to see that stuff and it would be would be great but if you go back to LucasArts track record there was a point where they were putting out sort of five six star wars games a year and they weren't all coming from the very biggest companies so they have done that in the past i think I just wonder whether what we're seeing from LucasArts is actually like we're in games, but we're only in it for like the biggest swings. So I do think that the Ubisoft thing is actually great, to be honest. I, I just finished playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla and, you know, 
you know, caveat, obviously Ubisoft has its issues as a company. We've explored those uh, very well on this podcast, but it also employs a lot of very talented people. And this is exactly its wheelhouse. And um, I think in the Assassin's Creed series, you've seen that it's, it's definitely developing and refining its ideas of how an open world can work really well. And I do have pretty, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what comes out of that in a way that I guess I never, I, I was only excited for the Amy Hennig project at start, uh, um, EA because I'm just not much of an online shooter player, never have been, so Battlefront didn't really, wasn't really something that I'd go out of my way for. Fallen Order again, I've, I've made my feelings on that. I mean, Squadrons, I think, is probably the, 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 the game that I enjoyed the most out of that one, but this Ubisoft one just seems like a really good fit. Like Mike says, it's a good start, and I would like to see a little bit more but i think probably i don't see disney licensing on console to anyone much smaller than a kojima productions you know i think it wants it wants spectacle to be part of what star wars is yeah i think there's still options within that to you know have more interesting game styles i mean i this is not star wars but i'm i'm personally like a little bit interested in machine games getting the indiana jones license like you know machine games has made these great wolfenstein games the last few years and i as as was pointed out by many people on twitter.com they gave you know a license for a character that is known for punching nazis to the game developers that are incredible at making games about punching nazis and i I mean, I, that doesn't necessarily have to be explicitly what their game is about, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with that. I think that's an incredible combination. But they're definitely, like, they've dug into the aspects of uh, Nazism. They're, they're kind of the weird uh, occult, you know, that, that's, that side of, of what the Nazis believe. They, they were into some pretty, parts of the Nazi regime were into some very, very strange um, ideas indeed. And that's kind of what... Uh, machine games is drawn upon for the Wolfenstein game. Obviously, Wolfenstein isn't its IP, but you know it really went into that stuff. And Indiana Jones went into that stuff. You know, the Ark of the Covenant and the Cup of Christ and all this stuff. I really, you know, out there. I, I couldn't. I can. I don't think it's actually like a perfect marriage, but I think what's great about it is you. You feel like that they've definitely got what it takes to put out something brilliant in their own style but not quite sure exactly what it's going to look like. And that's quite, a, quite yeah. an exciting idea. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's interesting. I don't, you're, you're right. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I, I, I have some ideas, but I, I like that. Like, I feel like you, you told me, you tell me that Ubisoft's got the Star Wars license. They're going to make an open world game. I feel like I mostly already know what that's going to look like. That uh, that doesn't mean to say it's going to be bad. I, I think it'll probably be, you know, it'd probably be a pretty good game. Um, but yeah, I, I already know what that looks like. And I, I would so much, so much rather be surprised. Same with, same with uh, IO and Pope. Yes, yeah, you're right. Same with IO and uh, 007. I already know what that game looks like. Though, you know, it'll be pretty good. Yeah. IO's already made a series of Bond games. They're called Hitman. They're really good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It doesn't need to do yes, it. I, yeah, I, I wrote, the, again, the thing about that, like, I, I think that was my very first Hitman season one review. Like, this is the best Bond game I, I've ever played. Uh, <laughs> and they've only gotten better. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with the Bond. I assume they're going to tweak the formula slightly to be a bit more action-packed and less methodical but like the 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 announcement just brought a lot of joy to me i was just like yes this is exactly what i want because i'm also a very big james bond fan so i'm containing myself because i got absurdly excited (laughs) at that at at that announcement um yeah i I looked up and you had an article about why there aren't uh uh, james bond (laughs) names 
so maybe you should talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so funnily enough, that came from, and this kind of ties back into the, the larger discussion we're trying to have, is that that article, um, Why There Are No James Bond Games, we published this back in um, November, that came from that came from two things. That came from me obsessively annoyed that there is no James Bond game at the moment and hasn't been for about six to eight years. Um, certainly not a good one since... I'd say 2010 was the last good James Bond game. Um, and then also, like, beyond that, this reflection of, like, as, as Rebecca was saying earlier, like, we've kind of shifted from this point where you would have loads of different licensed games and those have become fewer and fewer and further between um, to the point where, you know, we, we, you know, it was all free to play and in-game events and oh look Iron Man's in Hitman, in, in Fortnite and that sort of stuff rather than full-blown games so that's where, kind of where that feature came from and that that feature was actually a write-up of a session we did for Changing Channels which is a digital event we ran last year around the crossover between games and other media and it, it's interesting like the, you know, the, the the fact that there is enough there are enough ventures between games IP and other forms of entertainment and then other forms of entertainment's IP and video games. There was enough of that that we were able to put on a full-day conference two years in a row just exploring the different possibilities and the different ways you can do that. Um, and here we are now. Like it's, it's, It feels like it's ramping up on the kind of the, the AAA space. Um, so, yeah, like I, as Rebecca was saying, like you, you get these, these perfect marriages like, you know, I own Project 007. I know exactly what that's going to be, and that is exactly what I want. It will be Hitman with some chases, I reckon. Um, Ubisoft Open World, again, like we know exactly how a Ubisoft Open World game goes. They've been, as Matt says, like they've kind of been refining that for years. I, I do say that the Star Wars Open World one is one I'm interested in, but I kind of hope it's open worlds because as, I think, as Matt said earlier, like the interesting thing about Star Wars is the universe. Like, if, if the Mandalorian, if, if the Mandalorian, a whole series was set on one planet, it wouldn't have been as interesting. So I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping they can find a way of visiting different planets without doing the Jedi Fallen Order thing of reusing well, assets. Well, of course. the reason yeah. why I'm hopeful is because I've just come off the back of completing Valhalla. And I think, Valhalla, yeah. I, I think there yeah. are like four or five different, you know, without spoiling, like that. It's not just one map. I think they've, they've, they've become better at, you know, making things flow a little bit better and making it a bit more manageable. I, I just, I guess I feel like I, I got really bored of Ubisoft open world games and this one made me think, oh, actually, no, they've, they've kind of ironed out some of the kinks and I'm really, really into this probably as much. As yeah, open yeah. World so, game yeah, is. Valhalla has like four or five huge, like there's one huge map that's England, but then they have uh, another couple maps that are mm. very distinct and different. Okay, that's that good. Aren't, well, yeah, I, I'm trying not to get too excited about that because obviously um, this is not going to be done by the Assassin's Creed team. This is going to be done by Massive Entertainment who have done The Division, uh, The Division 2, and they're working on Avatar. Um, and we don't know what that Avatar game looks like yet. And I'm really hoping, I'm hoping, I mean, the fact they said that they announced this is going to be an open world game. They didn't say it was going to be a multiplayer game, but I'm hoping that this doesn't become like a Star Wars skin of The Division because The Division just doesn't appeal to me just personally as a game. I'm, I'm like you, Matt, I'm not into online shooters. I'm certainly not into bullet sponge shooters. Um, so I'm hoping that this doesn't go that way. But equally, big license companies do sometimes like to go for the multiplayer angle because that's bigger audience. Well, I know, I know they've been they've been hiring. They've been there's a lot of adverts for writers on the massive entertainment website. That's promising because I don't think narrative is necessarily ever been 
that studio strong suit. I mean, it's hard to read into job posts. There are websites that make an entire revenue stream out writing about job posts, but like they're genuine it's very very little that you can tell i don't think it's the studio you'd immediately hand it to it does raise some questions about what the hell's going on with the avatar game though i think the first avatar film's not even going to be out till end of 2022 maybe i think there are many questions about what's going on with the avatar yeah. franchise as a whole yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so it may yeah. it may be that there's just the time to do it now but the the studios that you'd want to see have a go are the Assassin's Creed ones, I think, and unfortunately they're kind of occupied with this Assassin's Creed, you'd have to say. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will say that um, I, I'm I'm glad that good studios are getting a swing at big licenses, but I wouldn't ever want it to go back to the way it was. Um, so, you know, with the James Bond example, there were eight, you know, there were eight years without a James Bond game. And uh, I'm going by Wikipedia on this, but it's got like a, a timeline of every James Bond game since 1982. Between 1982 and 2012, there were only eight years where there weren't a James Bond game. And then we had eight years with none. And when you look back at those James Bond games, I mean, 007 Racing, anyone? I mean, it, it's uh, yeah, even when a, a the middle ground. Ones weren't nice. great. Like, like Tomorrow Never Dies yeah. and I, The World Is Not... Like, those aren't necessarily great games. Yeah, yeah, they, no. they definitely were. And you, 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 you can count on one hand the number of good yeah. Bond games. Um, and let us never yeah, forget I, that that's the case, you know? Like, that's... Uh, yes, no, that's true. And like, like I said, I'm, I'm glad that it's not going back. I hope it doesn't go back to that. I'm glad... I like to think that... that IP holders, movie IP holders are now looking at things like Marvel Spider-Man and then things like Batman Arkham Asylum and the Batman Arkham games and looking, right, this is games now as projects, as extensions of your entertainment brand, as extensions of your fictional universe rather than merchandise because I over... over so my, my son is uh, really into Wally, um, the classic Pixar film, um, one of the best Pixar films. So Father Christmas got him the Wally game for Wii over over uh, Christmas because we still have a Wii... I still have a Wii U that I still defend. <laughs> and um, and we, we bought that and we played through it over Christmas. And oh my goodness, now I remember... Again, going back to that that feature, like the Why the No James Bond games, that came from, I had this kind of rose-tinted specs view of, I miss licensed games. I miss being able to have these power fantasies in my favourite fictional universes about, you know, yes, Hitman's great and I get to be Bond-like, but I would love to be Bond. I would love, there's just that distinction. Thinking, I'd love to go, there are so many universes, so many films, I'd love to physically take part in these um, in these actions. And then I played the Wally game and Oh no! Now I remember why we don't. But then do this. that's yeah. It's... But then the Disney games; those are the the best example of why licensed games were sort of petered out a little bit, like at least on in terms of the demand for them, because they were they were filler. I mean, one thing that that is notable, at least in terms of my own response to it, I don't think I want another Indiana Jones film, but I definitely want an Indiana Jones game. So I think this is an example, and there haven't been many like this where actually the game potentially be more in demand than another film would be. Like with the, with the original medium for the IP, actually the game can be just as big an event. And historically licensed games have always been about games being used as a way to monetize a bigger event happening somewhere else in entertainment. That's kind of your template. Yeah, and what's funny is we, we just had sort of an example of that old style of throwaway licensed game that came out 
last year, which was Fast and Furious Crossroads. Oh, God, yeah. Was, <laughs> I forget that even came out. Yeah, no, that was just a terrible, because, like, if you look at the large movie franchises, like, the biggest, some of the biggest IPs, most of them are, are actually sort of taken care of. You know, you got your Marvels, you got your DCs, you got... Uh, Jurassic Park, which still has had a slow trickle of games yeah, coming Harry, out. Harry Potter's got uh, a name. Harry one. Potter has Hogwarts, which is delayed now. Um, so most of like the major franchises are taken care of. Uh, James Bond was one of those that was sort of missing in action for a while. Uh, and I, then like maybe there's like Lord of the Rings. Uh, which I, I think has the Gollum game coming. They've got the Gollum game coming, and there's the MMO from Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, Amazon are working on an MMO, a, a Lord of the Rings MMO, because Lord of the Rings Online isn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, the, but, um, then that, but then that but represents no, like the risk, though, right? That, and it's similar to what happened with Battlefront. You know, the games companies, particularly like the big, the biggest games companies, they're just going to see these IPs. They're going to get the dollar signs in their eyes, and they're not necessarily going to make the smartest choices for the product, you know. And that's what I mean, you know, like an MMO based on Lord of the Rings. I'm just not sure that's what anyone's waiting for. I'm just not sure that's what anyone's asking for. Um, to, yeah. So, I, it, is that the best idea? Like EA mostly wanted to make a live service Star Wars shooter that it could run like a battlefield and could be making you know, accruing revenue over years and years and years, when actually I think probably the game that would have made the biggest splash is something a bit like Uncharted, but playing as Boba Fett or something. You know, I, it's it's just whether or not the publishers bring to it the kind of spirit that, you know, Mike Bittle can bring to John Wick Hex and just go, actually, you know, what, what game suits this best? What kind of game? And just think, take a left turn. And then, you know, that's it's not comparable in some ways, but I think for the kind of money that was spent on that game, I imagine it's just as big a hit. But for every dollar, dollars accrued for dollars invested, I'm sure it's just as big a hit as a lot of the biggest AAA game. Can I drop a hot take? Yeah, drop it. Do it. I think for the reason that Matt just outlined and for some of the, re- the reasons that I outlined earlier, I think licensed games just really broadly are really boring. Like, <laughs> I, I I do not like the vast majority of licensed games. And many of them are fine, but I, I, I think for what exactly what you said, Matt, like like most people who end up doing licensed games, I, I recognize there's a whole market on mobile that I'm probably excluding from this because I haven't played a ton of games in that vein. But yeah, I think the majority of them are just like, you know, the dollar signs in their eyes. Like they just want to take take a license, make money off of it and sort of slap it on a game format that they already know how to do and they know how to make money off of. Like they're the people who really have interesting and innovative ideas that would fit with, um, you know, those kinds of licensed IP often don't get a chance to do them either because the people giving out the license don't want to take risks or because, you know, they there's, there's a money differential that they like, you know, that somebody can't make up somewhere. Um, and I, I think I think it's just a shame. Like I would rather, honestly, rather see EA or Ubisoft or anyone else spend their time and their money and their resources doing something innovative and interesting. But you know they've got these licenses, and so they won't. They'll play it safe because they want to make you know the the people giving them the license happy. Um, John Wick Hex is you know an exception, and there, there are exceptions. I actually think Kingdom Hearts is one of the most interesting, like I guess, licensing partnerships out there because it has all those Disney characters in there, um, and that ended up being a fascinating and wonderful game um, and, and series, even though, yeah, I mean, you can complain about how the trajectory it's taken, but it really was a fascinating idea to do with all those Disney characters um, and one that ended up also being very monetarily successful for them. Um, but really, I, I think that's a rarity. And I, 
I this whole week was just news about licensing deals, and I'm like, great, a bunch more, you know, fine games. Okay. Yeah, well, it, it it is it is right, and it's partly to do with pleasing the I, the IP holders. It's also partly to do with just assumptions about the safest bet you can make at the market. I mean, it, it's so strange to me that EA had the Star Wars license for ten years. We didn't get a new Knights of the Old Republic game. But so, so like Knights of the Old Republic three is effectively an MMO, the Old Republic, which by all accounts is very good. But it, you know, there's a limited appeal there for a lot of people. I, I'm certainly not likely to play that too much because I would much rather see another Knights of the Old Republic. So, I feel like Knights of the Old Republic made by Bioware would have been an absolute slam dunk there. But it didn't, you know, it didn't happen. Uh, other choices were made. Knights of the Old Republic effectively became an MMO, which I'm not sure everybody particularly wanted to happen. We didn't get Nice Old Republic from this deal. Instead, we got a bunch of shooters, which I'm not sure exactly what anyone wanted to happen. I don't, I don't really understand some of the decision making that is taken. Uh, I mean, I, and which is why I think is why the Machine Games Indie uh, partnership is so interesting because Machine Games is is far from a studio that's kind of proved itself to be capable of making a game that could sell 10, 15 million copies. He's done brilliant games. I, I love the studio, don't get me wrong, but I feel like a, a lot of faith and trust has been placed in them. And, you know, of all of these big deals, that's the one with the most capacity to be a surprising end product. And that's not really something you tend to see. I'd also say that Indiana Jones is, box office-wise, probably fine with not being... 10 to 15 million because uh the films have done well but they haven't done like star wars well so no. so indiana jones i think it's probably good at you know a good five three to five million copies or something like that i mean if it's a first person wolfenstein you know incredibly slick story driven i'd be ha- I, I think if they budget it right, I, I don't think there's any reason why we couldn't get maybe one of the best, I mean, I don't know, the best Indiana Jones game ever, like, and, and it only sold five million <laughs> and everybody's happy. I, I, I'm trying to think back. I guess Fate of Atlantis is probably the the best one to date, you know? I, I don't Fate know. of Atlantis is definitely the, the best one. Yeah, definitely the best one. Like, I quite liked, shameful confession alert, I quite liked 2008's uh, Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings because... That was more. I think it's. I think largely because that 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 game came out in close proximity to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and Star of Kings had a lot more in in keeping with the series than, than that film did. Um, but that, but that again, like you know, Star of Kings was your very typical right Indiana Jones game. You know, Indiana Jones game. We're going to do very kind of typical video game things. There's going to be a lot of Nazi fights and shootouts and some platforming sections and some block pushing puzzles. And it wasn't particularly inspired. Like like Rebecca said, it was boring. But I enjoyed it because I was Indiana Jones. And that that comes back down to, to how simple <laughs> how simple minded I am. No, how um, how easily I am pleased by the wrapping rather than the substance, as it were. But um yeah no I I'm I'm intrigued about machine games. I don't think it will be a first person because if you're licensing out a game based on a, a famous character, you want to see that character on screen. I think the one time that that has not been the case has been the the few you know the few James Bond shooters that were good where you were right. I am James Bond and I know I'm James Bond because I can see you know his Walther PBK in my hand. Yeah, I can't imagine a first person whoop cracking but, would be quite. But the there's same. All, but there have also been multiple. James Bonds, right? Whereas Indiana Jones yeah. is a specific character. And now I was talking about this with Brendan, our North American editor. And like, does that mean they 
like get Harrison Ford to sort of begrudgingly grunt a few lines of dialogue for the character. Until they get someone to do an impression. Uh, We actually thought it would be funnier if if they just trolled everyone and made Shia LaBeouf, motion captured Shia LaBeouf and made him the lead. Oh, don't do that. No, no, no. I really hope because don't get me wrong I have nothing I quite like Harrison Ford like I think in his later films when he when he's come back as Deckard when he's come back as Han Solo I think he's still delivering a good performance but it is very clearly he, clear how he has aged if you have Harrison Ford voicing given I think the, um, there was a piece on Eurogame where like people have worked out that like there's there's clues in the the Bethesda teaser that it's set in 1937 so a year before Last Crusade so you're looking at a very young Harrison Ford like you know model 3D model voiced by an older Harrison Ford it would be the equivalent of that um, from Russia with Love game that EA did where you have a 1960s Sean Connery voiced by a very very, very old, very close to retirement, Sean Connery, and it just doesn't work. But then what are they going to do? They're just going to cast their... I, I, I don't think they're going to use his likeness. I don't think they're going to use his voice. I think they are going to cast another voice and and try to find their Kevin Conroy as Batman for Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah. And... And it will you not be no more. Get Troy Baker. No, they can't. <laughs> it's going to sound too much like yeah, Troy and Nolan's. Uh, no, it, they're going to get. They're going to get Troy Baker. They're going to get Troy Baker. Like they just are. Providing Troy Baker can do a decent Harrison Ford impression, which so far, and I'm thinking back to Star of Kings or any any Star Wars games with Han Solo, like any there are, there is no one that can do a decent Harrison Ford impression. Circa Star Wars. And well, Indiana yeah, Jones. But, but but then is that it, then it, is it, is that even? I guess for me, it's not desirable. I I, I think that if if the, what Mike said is right, I'm glad about that because what I think they should do is just ignore what Indiana Jones looks like on screen, ignore what he sounds like on screen, just try and embody the character itself, you know? Like, and I think that's what, that's what was great, actually. I mean, I, I think you could look at something like Mark Hamill's Joker for that. Like, that's, that, that, you know, it, it not trying to be Jack Nicholson, um, not trying to be any pre-existing joke, but is embodying the character, and that's what it should be. And I think the, the minefield that you're in at that point is that you will get people out there you know, mega fans who'll be like, this doesn't sound enough like Harrison Ford, therefore it's not not my Indiana Jones and so on and so forth. Like that, that you can can end up with that kind of reaction. But I do hope they try and make it their own. And, and actually, you know, because the, the, one of the best things about Machine Games um, work is is just like the sense of humour. It's, it's very dark and uh, it, it's it's ironic and, and weird. And I, I kind of hope that they embrace a little bit of that, you know, so it's not, not quite as... Um, sort of 30s serial cheesy as the, as the films are. As much as I love the films, like I'd actually like to see Machine Game shine through. So brief brief tangent, if I may, and this is me asking for personal recommendations. I have not played the Machine Game's Wolfenstein games. Should oh, I, yeah. to get to get a flavour of what a Machine's game is like prior yeah. to this coming up? you should play the second one. The second one's amazing. Yeah, yes. you you should just because a lot of people think that they are very much run and gun shooters, and they're kind of, like there is a good deal of shooting, but they're kind of not like you you're you're not the hardiest dude, like you're not the Doom Slayer. Um, so I, I think you should play it just to get a feel for what their actual style of play is. They're excellent. I think they're not too long either. And, right. and now that they're, now that they're owned by Xbox, they're inevitably going to come to Game Pass. So I'll just wait for that. Yeah, and, and just like to get a feel for, you know, how stylish they, how stylish the execution is, and how 
and the storytelling chops and the characterization and like the the kind of the environmental detail and like sense of place and time i mean they're they've got some serious skill and there are there are points in particularly in the second wolfenstein game um yeah, you just like have to take your hat off, just the the, the balls, you know. It's, it's it goes to some pretty pretty uh, weird places, and uh, I, I admire it greatly. So it's uh, yeah, it's not like a completely uh, neat fit, but uh, I I'm looking forward to see what they end up doing. We're starting to run low on time, um, so I'm going to ask the question that has inevitably been doing the rounds this week on Twitter um, from various corners. Which is, are there any licenses out there? And Mike, you kind of think you, you kind of touched on this earlier. Like, are there any licenses out there we think are underserved, or that you would like to see back, or a studio that you think would do a particularly good job with the license? I'm going to throw this out there purely just because you know, like Ubisoft have now got the Star Wars license to an open world. Why not give Ubisoft specifically whichever team did Black Flag the Pirates of the Caribbean license? And let's. And I would be I, like, kind of like Matt said earlier. I would rather have a Pirates of the Caribbean game than a new film. I'd love to see a Pirates of the Caribbean game done Black Flag style. Anyone else? Uh, I'm going to say Mission Impossible. That's my other uh, franchise that I'm like I, I'm completely in love with, and I and I wish there were actual games for it. Um, and maybe Transformers uh, because. Uh, the Transformers films have sort of taken a knee uh, and taken a backseat uh, to like the Netflix series. So I, I Transformers games. I was gonna flippantly say nothing because, like I said, I don't care for licensed games. But I think I, you know, what I really enjoyed recently, I really enjoyed uh, the the ra cartoon. I would love to see that turned into a really solid like like adventure game of some kind, or even like an RPG. I don't even know. Just something. They could be fun. Yeah, I mean, I don't tend to go for... I mean, you know, we're having a chat about this because news happens and stuff, but I, I actually don't really care if we ever see a Star Wars game again, I suppose. There's been so many of them, <laughs> okay. and there are so many licenses that have never been you know, given any kind of treatment. Uh, my, my go-to answer for this was always... Um, but this is kind of outdated now. Like When Arkham City came out, I wanted Rocksteady to make a Judge Dredd game. I thought that they could do a brilliant job of that. Uh, they've got that kind of chunky character design, really good feel for unique combat mechanics, um, brilliant sense of place and all of that. And like Judge Dredd is, is such a, a vivid world. I would love to see that. And then that moved on to, I wanted to see Telltale do Curb Your Enthusiasm. I thought that'd be an amazing um, sort of point and click adventure type game. But actually, I mean, I, I, I struggled a bit. Um, I saw these questions doing the rounds. I, I think my my favourite licensed game of recent times is probably Alien Isolation, uh, just because of, it's like that's exactly what an alien game should be like. It was too long, mm. but like the conception of how the alien behaves, it's like one thing in the world and it's constantly moving around, and that's what an alien game should be. It's not like a pack of dogs. It's like one one incredibly intelligent wild dog that's always sort of hunting for you and. Uh, yeah, one of one of like the biggest budget games that doesn't really ask you to put a gun in your hand and, and, and kill loads of stuff like that hide and hide as well as you possibly can. And I thought actually that I would love to see uh, that same approach be taken with the thing. Uh, John Carpenter's the thing. I thought that could be a really good thing. I'd love to see that approach taken with the Terminator. It wouldn't be as stealthy, but you think like this whole game where you've got one thing come to kill you, kind of almost Resident Evil Nemesis style, I guess, with just one Terminator come to kill you. I'm not even a massive Terminator fan, but that sounds fun to me. Yeah. 
Great British Bake Off cooking competition. Yes. Yeah. Done. <laughs> why the cooking mama devs? Yeah, why not get Paul cartoon Paul Hollywood scraping the bo- a soggy bottomed uh, flan or whatever? That is all the time we've got this week. Uh, we're going to be back next week with your usual weekly show, and then after that, I promise we are going to have this five games of Jasper Kid. Um, in the meantime, be sure to go back and listen to the latest game developers playlist, uh, which was on Evil Within Two. In the meantime, you can find all our previous episodes on your podcasting platform of choice, and you get more news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Thank you very much for joining us. Mm-hmm.